Hello, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Randy, and today I will be talking about the Super Bowl. This is Cole, and I'll be kicking off our Valentine's Day discussion with a little history about the legend of St. Valentine the Man. This is Beth, and I will be talking about the holiday of Valentine's Day. And this is Sydney, and I will be talking about interesting Valentine's Day traditions around the world. But as always, we start off our podcast with some holiday happenings. So does anybody have holiday happenings this week? Let's see. I saw that they are already starting to have St. Patrick's Day decorations in stores. It seems like just a couple weeks ago, it was St. Valentine's Day things that were coming out. <laughs> yes, yes. And they are still out in mass quantity, but there are some St. Patrick's Day things trickling in slowly. Yeah, creeping into the corners. Yep. And so it must it's be kind of like, hard to miss it because it's kind of very green. Right, it goes from very pink and red to very green. stands out. Right, so they must be like lined up like in Target or Michael's. Here's the Valentine's Day stuff because that's still... Coming up, and then here's the St. Patrick's Day stuff. I actually didn't see it at Target. I saw it at Michael's. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're getting a jump start on it. Awesome. Good for them. That's right. That's Good right. And all of, all of you that want to get a head start on St. Patrick's Day, there you go. Yes. So today I'm going to be talking about something that you may not consider a holiday, but most people in the United States do, and that is the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl is the popular name for the championship game for the uh, National Football League. So it's the most watched single day sporting event in the world with over 170 countries watching it and over 112 million viewers watching it. And again, you got to specify most watched single day event, right? So part of the NFL Super Bowl's intrigue is that it's kind of a one and done there's a finality to the outcome so unlike other professional sports leagues that decide their championship in a series of games like basketball or baseball or hockey where it's like the best of seven or the best of five yeah the super bowl basically ends up with two teams that play each other once for the final championship and that's what I mean by the most watched single day sporting event. So there were games leading up to that, picking who would play in that final game. But the, once those two teams are picked, they play one game together and then they're done. And that's what makes it a little more intriguing and final than some of the other sports leagues do. So the reason that it's more of a holiday than you might guess is that there really is something for everyone in the Super Bowl. So if you're not a diehard football fan, or perhaps your two teams aren't playing, then you can still have an interest in maybe the parties. Maybe your friends have invited you to a party because their team is playing. Or the food. A lot of times there are parties or events where there's a lot of special food and snacks associated with it. Or there are commercials for the event. That's what I was thinking of, the commercials. Yeah, so a lot of people that really don't have that much of an interest in football or the football game itself I have an interest in the commercials along the way. Mm-hmm. Or a halftime show. Yeah, or that's right. That's right. Yeah. And there's the entertainment of the halftime show uh, potentially. With famous artists. Yes. Yeah. Some yeah. of those have been hit or miss, but yes. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yes. Yeah. And like you said, even if your team isn't there, I haven't met any football fan who isn't rooting for a team in the Super Bowl. Because there's always a team that you dislike more than the other one. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, usually you can figure out who you'd rather have win. Right. If not... So usually you're pulling for one of the sides in the Super Bowl. Right. Whether that's a team you, you know, like more than the other one, or if that's a team that doesn't really have many Super Bowl rings, you know, you root for the little guy. <laughs> right. The Super Bowl actually hasn't always existed. There were actually two football leagues for a time that were kind of vying for supremacy when it came to viewership and interest. There was the American Football League and the National Football League. Because of some issues, they recognized it would be powerful to bring those two together, and they agreed to merge and create one final championship that eventually became known as the Super Bowl. For the first three years, the game was labeled the AFL-NFL World Championship Game, which didn't have that much of a ring to it. <laughs> it's a, it's a really, really it's a long. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit clunky for the first three 
Super Bowl, so it was kind of called that. Later, it was suggested by the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs that they call it something simpler like Super Bowl. And it was actually inspired by the term Super Bowl, which was a toy that the Whammo company had put out in 1965, which was a rubber ball the size of a tennis ball that his uh, grandkids were playing with. And he came up with the idea of Super Bowl, not obviously Super Bowl, but Super Bowl. And it took over that name after maybe around the fifth Super Bowl that became that. That's really cool. That's so just like a random occurrence. He right. Actually, like, and he, he actually said, well, you know, something like that. He, he didn't necessarily intend Super Bowl, but it stuck and people were really interested in it. Yeah. So we've had Super Bowls since 1967. Uh, like wow. I said, the first few years they were called something else, but they date back to that time frame. And this year's Super Bowl, we don't know who will be in it yet. When At the time of our recording, there are four teams left. This weekend, two of the teams play each other, like two sets of two games. The winners of those games will come together for the Super Bowl on February 3rd. So the winner of the Super Bowl gets something called the Lombardi Trophy. So this is named after a famous Green Bay Packers coach, Vince Lombardi. It was renamed after him in 1971. And this is a handcrafted trophy that's got a football tilted at an angle on top of a pyramid stand. And it takes 72 hours for the Tiffany Company to make this. Oh, wow. It's from a, Tiffany's? Mm-hmm. It's a sterling silver trophy. Its estimated value is more than $25,000. Oh, my gosh. And on the front of the trophy is etched the words Vince Lombardi and Super Bowl and the Roman numeral, because we keep track of the Super Bowls by Roman numeral for that particular year, and the NFL logo. The winning team members also get a commemorative ring as part of their win, and that includes the coaches, the team players, and then members of the staff and members of the kind of the front, what they call the front office, which is the administrative office. So, in the case of the Philadelphia Eagles, who won the Super Bowl last year, their rings, which were designed after the Super Bowl, obviously, and it takes you know a while for them to finally put these rings out. But basically, the ring itself is made of a 10-carat white gold ring with 219 diamonds and 17 genuine green sapphires. On the top of the ring is the Philadelphia Eagles head, right? So that team gets to personalize it to their organization. So that's their like their logo that they have. That's right, the main part of their logo. On the right side of the ring features the score from the Super Bowl, and then their message of team unity that they use throughout the season. That's a lot of stuff on a ring. Yeah. Right. And then on the bottom, it says, Fly Eagles Fly, which is their motto. Uh, the word family is also written on part of the ring as a um, little commitment to each other. So each of them can make it very specific to them, and then they get to keep that forever. So I am a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, I yes, moved, you are. I moved to the uh, Pittsburgh area in 1974 with my family, and that was right when the Steelers went on a series of four Super Bowl wins over a five-year period. So a few years ago, I got to go to an event where there were a number of former players from that era, and one of them was Rocky Blyer. And Rocky Blyer has those four Super Bowl rings, and he let me put them on my fingers <laughs> so and cool. take a picture of them. And, yeah. I, and that was me as an adult. He was doing it pretty much for anybody who asked. You could get the rings put on and then take it. And these rings are really heavy, not rings you'd want to wear all the time, right. and really thick. Like putting them next to each other, you know, they're kind of like clunking each other. You really couldn't move your fingers very well with having all those rings on. So a few stats from winners and losers of the Super Bowls. Um, The most Super Bowl victories, Pittsburgh Steelers have the most with six. The most Super Bowl losses, the Denver Broncos and the New England Patriots are tied with the most losses with five. Woo, Patriots losing. Most consecutive Super Bowl losses in a row, Buffalo Bills had four Super Bowl losses in a row. In other words, they did everything they could to get to the Super Bowl four times and they lost all four times, which is just oh crazy. My. That's so hard to even and imagine getting there. Yeah. Very sad. Most total Super Bowl appearances are the New England Patriots. And the largest margin of victory 
because typically you want the game to be a close game. Mm-hmm. While in 1990, the 49ers defeated the Broncos 55-10. to 10. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that was not that interesting of a game. Also, just so you're wondering how much do Super Bowl tickets cost? Can you go to such an event? Well, when the first Super Bowl was around in the late 60s, early 70s, tickets were around 6 to $12. That's crazy. Yep. Now Super Bowl tickets cost thousands of dollars and can go up towards $10,000 when they're resold or, or scalped, much oh beyond their face value. And you, as the two teams coming together, get a number of tickets for yourselves and your families. And then the other teams that don't get to go also get a number of tickets oh, for to attend the event with their family and friends. And then a number of corporations that have tickets as well. So there's only a, you know, a small number of people that actually get to go, but plenty of people that watch it on TV, as I mentioned earlier. Also, yeah, you might wonder, how do they pick where the Super Bowl is held? Because it's held in a different location each year. They kind of move it around. So cities actually buy to, this, to host the Super Bowl by going to the NFL and bidding on a future Super Bowl year. So... You know, they've had it in San Diego, New Orleans, Miami, Indianapolis. They will let domed locations because some football stadiums have large domes over them, so they're uh, temperature controlled. So they'll let them bid. It's much harder, though, to allow cities, domed or not, in the northern part of the country to get them because there's a lot of events that actually happen from the Sunday before the Super Bowl all week long leading up to the Super Bowl. There's a lot of outside events like carnivals, activities, kind of focusing time and energy on the NFL and the charities that they support. They're going on throughout the week. So a couple of years ago when they had it in Indianapolis, and this actually happened when they had it in Dallas too, it was so cold during the week before and there was ice on the roads and snow. It really caused some havoc on those events. So they tend to like to have them in places where in early February, which is when the event always is, the first Sunday in February, that the weather will be pretty basic, right? Houston, New Orleans, San Diego, those sorts of places. So that's kind of why they end up being there each year or rotating through those places over and over again. Surprisingly though, even though we use the stadiums of the teams that play, no team has ever played a Super Bowl on its home field. So you oh. know, the year New Orleans hosted, their team didn't go. Or the years, the many years that San Diego hosted it, their teams didn't go those years. So and that's just more or less coincidence. It's, yeah, yeah, they could, but it's just coincidental that they don't. That is interesting. We also talked about the Super Bowl commercials. So that's a big event for a lot of people. It wasn't that way probably until that big Apple commercial release in 1984 so for for many years the halftime show and the commercials weren't that big the halftime shows consisted basically of bands playing like college level bands playing and you might see a little bit of that on tv although back in the 70s they actually showed much more of that than they show today but in 1984 apple produced a really famous commercial that launched the macintosh computer by kind of comparing Microsoft as Big Brother and Apple being the way to kind of break through and do something better and different. So, do you guys remember that commercial? Oh yeah, that yeah. was a big that I was a big that. deal when that happened in '84. That's pretty amazing. I, yeah, I wasn't alive during that time, but I remember such an iconic commercial. I remember seeing it dozens and dozens of times. Right. So, advertising during the Super Bowl is the most expensive time in television to advertise all year round. So. By 2017, for instance, Fox Network was charging five to six million for Super Bowl ad spots. That's crazy. Now, ads back in 1967 were $42,000, just as a comparison. So they've really, from 42000 to five to six million dollars for. But that's without, 30, without inflation. Right, 30, back then it was going to be. Yeah, 30 seconds to a minute, minute and a half is still a pretty big jump. Yeah. But many people um, can remember specific commercials that they enjoyed over the years. I always enjoyed the Budweiser commercials with the Clydesdale horses. Yeah. Um, those are always fun. People re- might remember the Budweiser frogs from, the, from 1995. Where one frog would say Bud, 
the next would say wise and the last one would say her. <laughs> um, they would kind of chant it throughout that. I remember in 2000, they had cat herders. They had cowboys and horses, and they were talking about herding, and then you realize they were trying to herd cats. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, so that was I, kind of a funny one. I always enjoyed the Doritos yes. commercials. Those are always cute. Yeah, Doritos always has really interesting ones as well. And Sydney mentioned before about the halftime performances, and nowadays they have famous artists perform at the halftime. They've done that probably since, I think, the mid-'80s. I remember in 1993 when Michael Jackson performed at the halftime show with some of his been, famous yeah, ones. something else. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty cool. Do you guys remember other ones? Yeah. Well, last year's was Justin Timberlake. Right. Well, I remember that one. I remember the last few years, Katy Perry. I remember um, Bruno Mars. Yes. And that's actually when I went to see Bruno Mars live. That's you were right. You had to remind me, oh, he played at the Super Bowl. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Black Eyed Peas at the 2011 Super Bowl. That's right. That was a good Super Bowl. That was not a good that Super Bowl. Good. That was the Packers beat the Steelers. Yes, that's right. For this year's Super Bowl, the one that's on February 3rd, 2019, is Maroon 5. So that's Adam Levine's band. Well, that'll hopefully be interesting. That's right. And the last big thing that happens for Super Bowls that I mentioned in the beginning is the Super Bowl parties. So a lot of times people have parties, and usually those parties have a lot of snack foods, right? So Yeah, got to keep up your energy. (laughs) That's right. According to some uh, surveys, Americans double their average daily snack food consumption on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, yeah that surprised me. I know, me It's a lot of stress eating. And during this, <laughs> right, or just eating while you're waiting for the next commercial. Right. right. <laughs> if you're not into the football. During that day, 1.3 billion chicken wings are consumed. Oh my gosh. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips. 139 million pounds of avocado. So that is a huge wow. avocado day. That <laughs> that's day. a lot that's of a, dip. Okay, but yes. let's be real here. It, that's called guacamole. Yeah, right. they <laughs> guacamole. Yeah. You can throw that in with the chip statistics. Right. But right. interestingly, only 8.2 million pounds of tortilla chips. So people are eating a lot more avocado slash guacamole dip than they're actually putting on their chips. Maybe they're putting it on their uh, potato chips. Right, right. Their chips. So a lot of food is consumed at the Super Bowl. So that's a, kind of a short summary of the Super Bowl. And even though neither Cole's team or my team is making it this year, we wish the best for yeah. those teams and that it's a good game and a good and, show. Mm-hmm. And to give a little context, I'm a Baltimore Ravens fan, so I'm at often at odds with Dad when it comes to football. All right, so we're going to switch over gears to the other big event in February, which is Valentine's Day. Yes, the slightly less important <laughs> event. So, Valentine's Day. All starting with the man, St. Valentine. Or, I'm going to say this is a legend more than a history of St. Valentine, because I can't find a lot of, as a historian, facts that I trust yes. okay. regarding, yes. yep. regarding yeah. what's going on. Right. Yeah. And it is interesting how we look at these holidays and how often there are some pretty loose connections in the history versus what's happening today. Right. Right. And there's three different St. Valentines that are kind of mentioned as martyrs in the early church, all sharing February 14th. But the most popular one seems to be around... 280 278 CE when Valentine, who was a priest in the Roman Church in the days of Emperor Claudius II, was executed. So he was executed on February 14th. Well, it's an unfortunate day for Valentine. Right. And that's why we celebrate love on that day. Right. <laughs> right. So it was under the rule of Claudius that Rome was involved in a, a series of wars with sort of the surrounding barbarians, which many people know was anyone who was not Roman, Persian, Egyptian. Right, that was anyone, the name they gave right, that was everybody, just the, not them. That was the name <laughs> of the people that they didn't like, yeah. more or less. Because people say that it was everyone that wasn't Roman, which is not true, because they named the Persians Persians, Armenians Armenians. So a lot of wars, a lot of very unpopular wars that they were not doing very well in. And Claudius believed that Roman men were being distracted by women, which I think is completely ridiculous. How would men be distracted by women? (laughs) (laughs) 
but he thought that they weren't willing to join the army or they weren't able to fight effectively because of these distractions and their connections to their wives. So, Claudius had the solution of banning all marriages and engagements in Rome until his wars were over. Which seems like a great idea. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Great for marketing. Nothing could go wrong with that. Nothing could no. go wrong with that. <laughs> Young men's loyalty to Rome definitely outweighed their... Right. <laughs> yeah. their right. Desire to have right, their desire right. towards women. Yeah. So, St. Valentine defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages in secret. Oh. Yep, so that's why he's associated with love. Mm-hmm. So when he was discovered, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. So he was arrested and dragged before an officer of Rome who told him to renounce his ways and submit to the will of the emperor, which he refused to do. And Valentine was a bishop in the church, which was why he was able to officiate these marriages. So Claudius ordered that Valentine be beaten with clubs and then beheaded. Oh my. Which seems like a... Something that a rational person would do. Right. Too bad um, it wouldn't go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Could I have that switch, please? <laughs> Some beatings after my beheading. <laughs> oh, that's the other way. Yeah. That's funny. While he was imprisoned, the and this is a lot of where the legend part is coming in, I think. His jailer was a Roman guard who brought his daughter to be healed by Valentine. She was blind. So the story goes that Valentine healed her blindness and then fell in love with this young woman. So they grew very close together, and the story kind of goes that Valentine wrote a letter to her just before he was going to die to be delivered to her. And, you know, he wrote things in the letter. I don't know what he wrote in the letter. But the important part is that he signed it from your Valentine. That's why we call each other from your Valentine. But we leave out the part where little four-year-old boy, you know, writes a valentine and he has to be beaten and beheaded then. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, thankfully, we did not keep that part of the tradition. That's right. And then for his service to the church and to love, valentine was... (laughs) Like how you said that. To love. Love. He was then named a saint at some period of time after his death. So... There's a couple of other Valentines. The second St. Valentine, he was the Bishop of Interamno, which is now Terni, Italy, and is located some, somewhere around 60 miles from Rome. Under the orders of the Prefect Placidus, he was also arrested and decapitated, again suffering during the time of Claudius II. So that's the second Valentine that you kind of hear about. He was beheaded on February 14th also. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people dying on. He was from be- Claudius. Bedeaded. Bedeaded. Yeah, bedeaded. because he was. He was what? Murdered in some way. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was beheading. Were all of them beheaded? In according to legend, those first two were okay. The third one was also a martyr, but he was in Africa with several other companions. But nothing really is known about this saint, other than the fact that he was in Africa and he loved God. That's sort of what several sources seem to tell me, including, like, the official Catholic website. And he's a Catholic saint, so if they don't know anything about him... Right. You know? Now, I understand that the Catholic Church took St. Valentine off of their official list in 1969. Yeah, that's right. And that's the same time they took St. Nicholas off the list as well. Oh. And my understanding of the reason was they were looking back on the saints they had on their list and comparing them to the criteria that they have... And whether or not they actually met that criteria, if they didn't fully meet it, then they were taking them off the books just based on lack of information. So it's kind mm-hmm. of was like cleaning up your books exercise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so if, like, say, St. Valentine of Africa had two sentences describing, like, yeah, what have, he was, he might have been taken off the books. He might not have had enough. That's right. right. The other thing I found when I was reading some books on Valentine's Day was that this connection to St. Valentine, St. Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. right? was really, really loose. Like, there's not a lot of documented history, and it's a lot of recorded history, like, hundreds of years after the fact, pointing back to these events. Yeah, because the date of his death sort of was mingled with the Feast of Lupercalia, which was a pagan festival of love. 
So you can kind of see like them making this connection between these love things and trying right. to make a, you know, trying to make a holiday out of it, yes. like the uh, the Catholic Church did with Halloween. Right. Trying to make the pagan thing more Catholic by adding. Right, but there is documentation. I think at some of these executions in the Catholic Church that they're actually on February fifteenth, not the fourteenth, but the pagan festival was on the 14th so it's not really clear exactly when it all kind of all came together the christian saint valentine's day the concept of love why that was in there yeah like all those things kind of were a little bit vague and in the book i was reading it was talking about jeffrey chaucer who's the basically the person who created english literature back in the late 1300s to 1400 and if you look at some of his poetry during the time he was really the person who kind of brought Valentine's Day in his poetry together. Now, whether he was pulling that from other things or how much he was pulling that, but it kind of seemed like this author was suggesting that he was the orchestrator of making this into an event, hmm. of pulling these kind of little threads together mm-hmm. and clarifying that this is Valentine's Day and the concept of being somebody's important person and love interest on Valentine's. That's interesting because it was in 496 CE that Pope Gelasius decided to put an end to the pagan feast and sort of repurpose it into a day to celebrate St. Valentine. Right. So that's almost a thousand years before Chaucer, Chaucer right. came onto the scene. Right, and put it together <laughs> through his poetry. So. Right. Yeah, so I would say kind of a loose history of St. Valentine's yeah. Day because that's really the, all that's available to us. Yeah. I think that the word legend of St. Valentine yes. is much more accurate in this, in this situation, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> As I was doing research for the Valentine's Day holiday, I encountered a lot of the different information, and I found that very interesting that there was very little actual authentic historical proof. proof. Uh, yes. So Valentine's Day is a holiday focused on love and expressing that love in a tangible way. Until the 1840s, giving and receiving valentines was a custom in Europe that had pretty much died out in the U.S. In the early 1800s, printers in England began to produce Valentine's Day cards. Since a person could purchase a card versus writing a poem or a note themselves, Valentine's cards became very popular over in Europe. Estimates claim that 200,000 cards were being exchanged in London alone by the mid-1820s. Which so is, which is interesting because it's a lot of cards. And you have, to, you have to sort of take into account that the population of each country is going to be a whole lot less right. in 1820 than it is right. even 100 years later. But it's also interesting, too, because according to Father Christmas, when we went to visit him in Disney World and Epcot... England. He also talked about how Britain was the first country to create Christmas cards. That's exactly right. right. This was the predecessor to Christmas cards. Which is interesting. Yes, so it they, is. The British really like their cards. Yes. <laughs> yes, especially if they're easy to purchase. Yes. yes, which is funny because during the Empire, postcards were a huge commodity, too. Like, postcards which showed pictures of British territories, Africa, India, they were a big... Oh, that's interesting. Very big for people to purchase, because that was all that they could see of the overseas colonies. Right. Imported cards from England crossed over to the United States, and there was a huge increase in Valentine card purchases in the major cities. Esther Howland of Massachusetts was coined as being the mother of the American Valentine because of the artistry of her designs and her success at commercializing Valentine's Day cards in the U.S. Her distinctive cards are cherished by collectors to this day, which makes a lot of sense. Right, so the success of commercializing, to me, means that made the Valentine's Day holiday explode. Exactly. Because it got out into, like, mass markets. Right. Right, and more people could participate, not just the wealthy. Now you're talking, you can integrate it into... The whole country. Right, which is what happened as they started importing them over from Europe. Right. They were now much easier to purchase. The trend was well established in the U.S. then by the time Esther Howland came on board, but due to her unique Valentine's, she is well remembered. Now, back in those days, and we are talking in the mid-1800s, 
There are three aspects of Valentine's exchanges that were very different from today and very interesting. If they were individually written notes, they were true exchanges and the person giving the note expected a reply, either positive or negative. Valentine's was really celebrated for about a week to allow time for the response. <laughs> so the first thing then was the exchange of Valentine's, not just the giving of a Valentine. The second thing, there were pamphlets called Valentine Writers, which were available. These are booklets of different lengths that are sold by printers, and they contained ready-made poetry. Oh. Some of them also, some of the more elaborate ones, also contained ready-made answers. Yes, acceptance, or no rejection. Because I guess most of these written ones would have, not just like, would you be my Valentine, but they would have like a poem, kind of like a little, yeah. maybe four, six, eight-line poem in it. Exactly. So would the responses have like little check boxes, Like for <laughs> yes and no? Sort of like grade school kind of thing? I'm checking the box, no. <laughs> and the pamphlets are helpful because I would guess not many people back then were natural poets. Exactly. Not many cottagers, you could say. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to read from a book called America's Favorite Holidays, Candid Histories by Bruce David Forbes. And I got a lot of my information from this book. It's a wonderful book. But he gave some illustrations of poems an answer of compliance and an answer of rejection that you might find on one of these pamphlets. This is from a cottager to his favorite last. Now, you may wonder what a cottager is. We did too. <laughs> he actually is just someone who lives in a cottage. So here's his poem. I for my valentine have got a little comfortable cot. I've got a little piece of land and other things too at command. Oh, tell me then if you'll be mine say if you'll be my valentine all right now if the lass is happy that she got that valentine from him, she could respond like this to my thanks you have a claim for the kindness which you proffer i should indeed i should be indeed to blame were i to reject your offer so she's saying yep i'd love to be your valentine now the answer of rejection is this Tis not land that can impart a good temper, a good heart. In the cottage we may find anger and a troubled mind. Oh, <laughs> hey! <laughs> like, forget rejection? That's like an insult. <laughs> oh, wait, wait till you see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that was the first thing. That was the first thing? Yeah, the first thing that was kind of different about how Valentine's were back then, right? Uh, no, no, they exchanged. Oh, that was they, the first one. And the second one was there was pamphlets you could pick right. from. Okay. Okay. All right. So then the third way that Valentines were different is very intriguing. A large number of Valentines were sent anonymously. If it was a romantic note, it was fun to try to guess who sent you the Valentine. It was kind of like a secret Santa that we could play today, right? So you're trying to guess who sent you that Valentine. But they weren't all romantic. <laughs> some, some were comical or satirical or insulting. They could be mocking and cutting. They would often end with lines like, You will never be my Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I do not have a sample of that to, to yeah. read. So everybody can look that up themselves and enjoy the mocking it satirical. Seems like um, Charlie Brown could have incorporated that into right. one of their specials. Yeah. So you would never be my Valentine. Valentine's. Yeah, but a great, great day for creative, sarcastic yeah, people. You could call it, You will never be my Valentine, Charlie Brown. Right. <laughs> So in the mid-1800s, the Valentine cards were divided evenly between the sweet romantic cards and the mocking satirical cards. Oh, wow. Yeah, so people get able to do things anonymously can go down a slippery path. With people flocking to buy these cards, there were a lot of opportunities for marketing and for profit. From historian Lee Eric Schmidt, and this is a quote, the Valentine craze of the 1840s and 1850s proved the rehearsal for that great fashion of the late 1870s and early 1880s, Christmas cards. The Valentine trade thus helped inspire a whole new holiday enterprise, the greeting card industry. 
Oh, wow. I know, right? I would have never guessed that. So, there was a man who's named Joyce C. Hall, and he didn't like his first name because it sounded like a lady, but Joyce C. Hall and his two brothers founded a company called the Hall Brothers Incorporated, which became... Hallmark. Hallmark. Yep. Yeah. Because World War One came about and kept the greeting cards from Europe from entering into the United States, Hallmark got a quarter on the market and grew tremendously at that time. Hallmark was established probably around the early 1900s. One of the innovations that Joyce C. Hall had, which I found very interesting, was putting long racks in stores so people could see the greeting cards. Before that, you had to go up to clerks, and they had to bring them forward to you. Really? Yeah. Yeah, You had to ask for, you know, can I see your greeting cards? So they would have, like, a stack below, and which weren't displayed very well, and they might say, here's the ones I have, versus that nice long display that we see today. Yeah, Yeah. which is great for marketing. Yeah, and it makes it easy to find cards. Well, and if you think about it, a lot of stores, they're right at the front, right when you walk in. Yeah, and, I mean, that one innovation Mm -hmm. has spread, like, crazy everywhere, Mm -hmm. and it didn't die out. It was one of those things that really was... An amazing idea. Yes. So, Hallmark wasn't the beginning of the cards, but it certainly left its mark on, on <laughs> oh, cards. Oh, I see what you it's, did. The second part of Hallmark it's is Hallmark. <laughs> gotcha. I know. That was pretty funny. That was pretty good. I, thought, I was pretty happy about that one. <laughs> All right. From there, the options to give went from just cards to gifts to flowers to candy, which are all available for us today. Still. (laughs) That's true. Yes. So, I'm going to give you some fun facts about Valentine's Day. I'm not going to give you a number so that nobody has to worry about which number I'm on. (laughs) (laughs) Just some. Not any specific number. Just a bit. I'm going to give you 25. (laughs) 25 fun facts. No. Okay. Some fun facts about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is the second most popular day of the year to send cards... Which is the first? Mother's Day. Anybody else? Christmas. Christmas. It is Christmas. There are a lot of cards sent on Mother's Day. In 2013, approximately 6 million couples got engaged at Valentine's Day in the U.S. Ooh. So 6 million couples in the U.S. got engaged on Valentine's Day. How That's many, crazy. How many of them are still married? Yeah, I that. That? <laughs> Probably three million. <laughs> Ooh, that's a rough number. That's what it is. And that is so not Valentine-y. The next one is more than... <laughs> it's the German Saint, Saint Valentine's. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> All right. More than 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolate are produced and sold each year. So much chocolate! There are approximately 1 billion Valentine cards exchanged each year in the U.S. Wow. I know. Wow. And then I have to wonder, are smartphones going to change that? Because this is sending cards, right? So you can, if you... Well, that's... It depends on how they define cards. Are they defining physical cards? Or there are also e-cards. Exactly. So I don't know what they're counting as cards. Are they counting texts as cards? (laughs) Yeah, what if you uh, put something on Facebook that says Happy Valentine's Day to somebody? Does that count as a card? I think it's talking about physical cards, which is why (laughs) I said... a poem on Facebook or take one of those items from the pamphlet and stick it in Facebook. Oh, we should totally do that on Valentine's Day. (laughs) That would be so funny. It would be funny just to put them both on there. Okay, where was I? Valentine's Day. Okay. You don't know what number. All right. (laughs) And the final fun fact... Oh, wow. Is that 8 billion of the little candy hearts with the messages on them are produced and sold each year. Wow. That's that funny. much chalk. <laughs> That's funny. I know, right? <laughs> well, and the funny thing is I did notice that the Valentines now have emojis on them. Instead yes, of, yeah. I've seen instead that of too. Words. So That's yeah, funny. It doesn't make the candy not disgusting, though. Right. That was not disgusting. It's... Nostalgic. It's, it is nostalgic. It's yeah. not good. No. It's nostalgic. It so is. for those of us who don't have nostalgia about that candy, it's just disgusting. I do have nostalgia. I just really don't like the taste. I never. But eat. I always buy them. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because you're supposed to buy them. They're cute. They don't you don't taste have to good, eat them. And they've got they're the cute. texture of chalk. But whatever company it is, <laughs> it has done a great job of 
convincing us that we need those candies That's on right. Valentine's I Day. I know. What's Valentine's Day without that little box exactly. of candy with little messages on You know it? what? I like That's to go time. and look at the candy and feel nostalgic and then I walk away. Well, you are so strong. That's... Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm sensing some sarcasm. <laughs> you sense very well. Yeah, thanks. Finally, I leave you with some wise words from America's Favorite Holidays. Oh. Remember that popular culture both influences and reflects us. We are not just pawns manipulated by corporations or mass media. We may be influenced by them, but our decisions and behavior influence them in return. And I would point out the emojis on the little candy. <laughs> so, so, so those are very good quotes from the book. And I remember also reading in the book that they said that Valentine's Day's commercialism, right? The kind of that owning of our nation in, in that event and all the kind of activities that, that go with it was a predecessor for Christmas, and it's changed to be a commercialized holiday. That's exactly right. I thought that very interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, that because of Valentine's Day and its commercialism, that that then spread to Christmas and other holidays. Right. In the Christmas season especially, you hear a lot about how bad commercialism is, which is why I like those quotes. Yeah. If, if we don't participate, then it wouldn't be that way. But we, we enjoy the different things about Valentine's Day or Christmas. Absolutely. And it's not just Americans. It's all over the world that likes to participate in holidays and traditions. I'll be talking about several interesting Valentine's Day traditions around the world. Yeah, because I don't think we always realize or understand the way other countries have taken those same ideas and applied them to their culture. Yeah, and I did notice that as I was doing my research that some cultures are very much like us where they send cards and have all this you know, stuff for loved ones, but then others... Um, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a little bit, it have a very different approach to Valentine's Day. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear because one of the things that I noticed as I was reading, as the commercialism grew, it went from being just a romantic holiday mm-hmm. to you could get them for your children. You could mm-hmm. get them for your parents. Or grandparents. You, right. Yeah. So it's expanded out into the family. Absolutely. Yes, and I've been doing research just on the general internet, just interesting facts. The different places that I went generally had the same countries and ideas. In Germany, I thought it was interesting, one of the sites that I went to said it was very much a couple's holiday, and they were not too fond of it. It was more like a, let's get this over with really? kind of thing. Yeah. Another website, the Huffington Post, under Germany it says that they give each other pig-inspired gifts and delicacies on Valentine's Day. They give each other what inspired? Pig. P-I-G? Yes. Oh, okay. Pig inspired? Yes. Oh. I, thought you, I thought you pronounced pagan badly. Yeah, I you know. Do. too. Yeah. Yeah. Pig inspired. Because yeah. pigs are seen as a symbol of good luck and lost. And Germans love yeah. sausage. Right. And they're pink. And they're pink. A mug with a cute picture of a little pink pig and a little red heart and it says, I pig you to be my valentine. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's adorable. It is. For Italy, the day is a lover's only holiday. Versus, like we said before, like yeah. to kids, to grandparents Families, and things like yes. that. In Denmark, they have snowdrops, which is a flower of choice in Denmark instead of the red roses. So those are given to loved ones. Also, Danish men are known to send funny poems and given anonymously to their romantic interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In China, they actually have a Chinese Valentine's Day festivity. It is celebrated on the seventh day of the seventh lunar month in the Chinese calendar year, which usually falls in August. People traditionally pray for each other or gain certain skills. I guess women gain sewing skills that day. That seems like more of a myth. But the idea is still there um, to think about your loved ones. Wait, this is in China? Mm-hmm. So women gain sewing skills on... Again, it's a myth. <laughs> this seems like a communist party making you work during Valentine's Day. <laughs> like ploy. Like men are great at pouring steel on Valentine's Day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Estonia. You have to... You guys down. <laughs> In Estonia, the day is also called Friends Day. So just like we were talking about earlier, 
Uh, it's not just a day for romance, but a day to recognize family. Yeah, some countries make it clearly this is just for lovers. And right. some are like, oh, no, this is for everybody. Yes. In <laughs> fact, Estonia even has a love bus in the country that people... No. A love bus? B-U-S? B-U-S. Okay. Okay. Yes. Where single people, I guess, can go and ride this bus and meet each other. Oh. As oh, a, it's like a, a singles meeting place. Right. Oh, okay. Interesting. What could go wrong with that? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfectly good. Are there, like, fake love buses going around, like, picking up people? I, I'm sure you have to do your research ahead of time. <laughs> it's like Match.com, except on a bus. Right. <laughs> you can't really move around all that much. Right. Yeah. In the Czech Republic... The country's main day of love is on May 1st, and lovers kiss under cherry trees for happiness and good health or good luck. And Wales, so this is, I find this in particular very interesting, they don't celebrate St. Valentine. They instead celebrate St. Diwen, which is the Welsh patron saint of lovers on January 25th. Oh, I'm surprised it isn't like... A 15 letter name that's all consonants. Because <laughs> that's all that Welsh names seem to be. Well, how you spell his name is D W Y N W E N. So one vowel? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. That was nice of them. So that's, that's very Welsh. And one tradition is the giving of a love spoon to a loved one, which has patterns and symbols with different meanings carved into them. So kind of going back to the cards, these have also extended to being given as gifts on like weddings, wow. anniversaries, births, and they are extremely elaborate spoons. I have a picture right here. Oh, so they're wooden spoons. They are. Too. So they're carved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So another tradition is in South Africa. Valentine's Day is celebrated across the country, and from what I have found, different places celebrate a little differently but usually have a special mass wedding that takes place in one of cape town's most iconic tourist and historical venues which is robin island on february 14th and another interesting tradition overseas is in japan so instead of men giving gifts to women valentine's day is a time where women give gifts to men that sounds great specifically to men is it the same kind of gift flowers cards candy um Typically, it's chocolate, and it's two different types of chocolate. Okay. Well, it's two different, not necessarily types of chocolate, but types of giving chocolate. Like, there's an obligation chocolate, which is, like, to your boss, to coworkers, to family, and then there's a chocolate that you give to your lover, right? And typically, that kind of chocolate is handmade. Really? Yes. They make it, or or they they buy it handmade? So, you can buy it. But the idea is that it's not true love unless you make it. Wow. So the women give gifts to men on February 14th. Then one month later, on March 14th, it's called White Day, where the men who receive the gifts give the women gifts back. Oh, okay. So it's almost, if you think about marketing, the stores will have chocolates, they'll have flowers, they'll have jewelry, they'll have all kinds of stuff for Valentine's Day and for this White Day as well. I didn't say that men make the chocolates. Right. Uh, It's probably jewelry and flowers. Interesting. Yeah. So that was some unique Valentine's Day traditions around the world. I'm also going to mention something that's kind of picked up in the last few years, which is Galentine's Day. And that's kind of, I think, picked up a little in the U.S. And what, you call it Galent, like G-A-L? Right. So Valentine's Day spelled with a G. Okay. Galentine's Day. Yes. So, so this comes from the TV show Parks and Recreation. Really? It does. And this is really fascinating. Parks and Recreation is a it is an American political satire television sitcom that aired from 2009 to 2015 for a total of 125 episodes. In the series... Leslie Nope, I believe. I have not watched the television series. In the series, they observed a fictional holiday, which is, I believe, Leslie Nope's one of her favorite holidays. And that's a character Um, on the show. That's a character on the show. On this fictional holiday, it occurs every February 13th, on the day before Valentine's Day. And it's where a woman and her 
best gal pals leave their husbands and or boyfriends at home kick back relax you know might have brunch together go off on an adventure on my volunteer together and so it's just a time to celebrate friendship your girl exactly yeah yeah just so a girl day Right, so I think this has picked up a little. I've seen it in different skits. I actually saw some decorations for it at Target. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. <laughs> Which is really? why I mentioned it, yeah. Hmm. So I think that has picked up a little momentum. More. Huh? Exactly, exactly. So that was just some unique traditions around the world and, and a unique Valentine adaptation that has developed over the recent years in America. That's awesome. That is so interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for all the Valentine's info. We will continue Valentine's discussions and topics next week as well. As a final part of our podcast, we talk about future festivities for the upcoming week. This will be the week of February 4th. So February 4th is Thank a Mailman Day. So don't forget to thank your mailman that particular day, although it seems like you could do that every day. Right. (laughs) The 5th is Chinese New Year. The sixth is National Frozen Yogurt Day. Oh. Seems like an odd day to have that in the early February time. Frame, I would have expected like summertime. Yeah, right. I need to go back and look. When was Chocolate Cake Day? Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> uh, the seventh <laughs> is Wave All Your Fingers at Your Neighbor Day. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, I think that could be every day too. <laughs> so, but instead of just saying Wave at Your Neighbor Day, they added. All, All your, your fingers. fingers, so that it was clear that this is a friendly wave. Right. <laughs> um, the eighth is National Boy Scouts Day. Our friend Eric Anderson is really involved in Boy Scouts, so that is the national that is celebrating the birth of Boy Scouts on that particular day. The ninth is National Pizza Day. Now I thought National Pizza Day would be on Super Bowl Day. That would be, but smart. so many foods like Avocado Day, Sandwich <laughs> Day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all those things. I guess it would be too many stacked up. Yeah. So a week later, National Pizza Day on the ninth, and then the tenth is National Umbrella Day. Oh. Yep. So celebrating the um, invention of the umbrella. So make sure you enjoy all those days that week. And with that, just a reminder that you can. Follow us on this podcast as well as on Twitter, which is our handle is at holiday underscore moons. On Instagram, at holiday moons, all one word. On Facebook, you can find us by searching holiday moons, all one word. Our website is randallmoon.wixsite.com slash holiday moons. And of course, you can reach out to us at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So, so for Randy, Cole, Sydney, and Beth. Happy Valentine's Day!